Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Shadow and Lai Lahimullah. Shadow and Mohammedan Rasulullah. This discussion about Ayah Sophia. Really, I want to commence by first drawing an analogy with a famous incident at the time of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam during the early stage of the call to Islam. When the Quraysh had gathered together to agree on a way to discredit Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And what they had done is that they had approached Al-Walid ibn Mughayra and thought of accusing him of being a kahin, which is a fortune teller, or a poet, or someone possessed, or to accuse him of being someone who commits sorcery. Now all of these accusations were lies and far from the truth. And all these attempts to discredit the da'wah of Muhammad by discrediting his personality only reflected what the Quraysh leaders really felt, which was the growing strength and the rise of the da'wah of Muhammad sallallahu in essence, the growing rise of Islam. Now, the recent incident on the 7th of July, where the Turkish Supreme Court issued a ruling paving the way for Hagia Sophia in Istanbul to be restored as a mosque, also draws similar comparisons to the incident I mentioned at the beginning where lies and inaccuracies have been stated which are far from the truth. And likewise, it resonates what is really being felt, which is the rise of Islamic sentiments and the aspirations of the Muslims to want to live by Islam. Now, there are three dominant inaccuracies that I want to discuss and talk about. The first one is the accusation of the forcible conversion of Hagia Sophia from a church to a mosque. The second accusation is that this incident further reflects the Islamic credentials and sincerity of the Turkish leader Erdogan who championed the cause of Islam and the Muslims. And the third inaccuracy and accusation that I want to talk about is that this reflects a clash between Islam and Christianity. Now regarding the first accusation, the so-called conversion from a church to a mosque, this should be clarified historically. Now when Muhammad al-Fatih entered and liberated Constantinople, he had given some of the Orthodox churches to the Armenian Christians, and other churches he gave to the Jews by the virtue of the fact that the churches were deserted. As for the Muslims leaving mosques, he had also turned some of them into mosques. Now with regards to the church of Hagia Sophia, Muhammad al-Fatih asked the Christians in the city to sell it to him. Now the Greek Orthodoxy Pope agreed on the sale and Muhammad al-Fatih purchased it in his own name, not as the ruler or for the state. Likewise, payment was made from his personal wealth and not from the wealth of the state. It was therefore a personal contract and this sale is confirmed by documents that have been archived. So the reality is, is that this conversion was never by force and it neither denied the rights of the Christians. If there was a crime and there was a crime, 
the actual crime was when Mustafa Kemal, 500 years later, converted Hagia Sophia from a mosque to a museum. So where does this leave this accusation about the forced conversion from a church to a mosque? Firstly, this argument is a blatant lie. Secondly, for over 600 years until now, no orthodoxy has demanded Hagia Sophia to be returned. Thirdly, no one objected when Mustafa Kemal converted Hagia Sophia to a museum demanding its return to a church. Fourthly, if we truly want to apply the sincerity of the logic of this argument, then the international community should demand for the mosques in Andalusia that were converted to churches like the great mosque of Cordoba to be returned to mosques, that the mosques in Greece that were converted to museums, shops, bars and cinemas should be returned to their status as mosques, that Babri Masjid in India that was demolished in 1992 should be restored and handed back to the Muslims. And if we extend the logic further, that the land of Palestine, the blessed land of Palestine, should be returned to the Palestinians. But we know the international community is mute on all of these matters, unsurprisingly. Now as for the second accusation, that the Turkish Supreme Court's judgment further reflects the Islamic credentials and sincerity of the Turkish leader Erdogan championing the Islamic cause, is important to lay some very key fundamental premises. Number one, we are not looking into the heart of an individual. We're not even trying to attempt to address the sincerity of an individual. All we are trying to understand is what are the actions which are being undertaken and what these actions represent from a Sharia perspective, not from a pragmatic perspective, not from an, an angle which is based upon the Western concept of politics, but politics according to the Sharia. Okay, That's point number one. So the way to understand this, we're not here talking, looking to the heart of a ruler, just want to understand the actions and what these actions reflect, because obviously any criticism or anything, anything that's related to Erdogan in a negative way, those who support him naturally become very, very defensive and tend to lose the focus on the subject matter of what the criticism is regarding. So we need to understand what is the relationship between Erdogan and Hagia Sophia and also Erdogan in his capacity as a ruler. Now, in excerpts of an interview that was screened by an Arabic channel called Al Ghad, some years back. It shows in this interview Erdogan stated categorically that he had no intention to convert Hagia Sophia to a mosque. And stating the following, and I quote, what will be the consequences of changing Hagia Sophia back to a mosque B? If we do that, then the political price will be very high. Let us not forget that we have thousands of mosques around the globe. I ask those who want to convert Hagia Sophia, did you think about these mosques will be burnt deliberately? They say this without thinking about the issue because they do not understand the world. As a political leader, I did not lose my mind and fall for this trap. So this statement is very clear that Erdogan had no intention, has no intention ever to convert Hagia Sophia back 
to a masjid from a museum. So all of this is about political positioning and not political positioning based upon Islam. In addition, the Turkish Supreme Court's decision reversing Ataturk's decision to convert Hagia Sophia from a mosque to a museum was initiated and lobbied by an NGO based in Istanbul that is connected with the work the trust of Hagia Sophia was entrusted with by Muhammad al-Fatih. So this conversion had no involvement of Erdogan at all. Yet he has been quiet on this matter, talking about who really initiated, who really lobbied hard and fought through the courts to get the decision reversed. Because it was not Erdogan, and he has remained quiet about this, taking all the plaudits from the Muslims around the world. This puts everything in context. All of this is about political expediency and popularity. Again, as I mentioned, not looking into the hearts of people, but only on the actions and statements. It's not possible to take Erdogan seriously at all. This is a person who has marked his rulership with reversing the Hajjad ban, alhamdulillah, publicly doing Quranic recitations, alhamdulillah, publicly showing solidarity with the Muslims of Palestine and Syria, alhamdulillah, and aiming to draw connections and parallels with the Uthmani Khilafah. But this whole comparison, this is like comparing two people, one who prays one rakah for Maghrib, and one who prays two rakah for Maghrib, and I ask the question, which one of the two is better? The one who prays one rakah, or the one who prays two rakah for Maghrib? And I'm sure all of you will say, neither of the two are better. Why? Because we know what's stipulated, and what the minimum requirement is for Maghrib, is to pay three rakat, not one, not two. Why is it we never accept less than three for Salat al-Maghrib? We would never accept less than four Salat al-Isha. We would never accept less than two for Salat al-Fajr. We would never accept someone praying, someone fasting less than between the hours of sunrise to sunset. We would never accept anything less than that. But when it comes to ruling, we're prepared to accept one rakah for Maghrib. We're prepared to accept two rakah for Maghrib. Why have we become so defeatist in this matter? That we, we work on the premise, is the lesser of two evils, is the best that we have. No, the best that we have is to have the Sharia completely in our life. And let us reflect upon this. Yeah? Ardagan, he is no son of an Ottoman. This is a man who maintains diplomatic, political and economic ties with the Zionist state. This is a man who closed the border with Syria and forcibly prevented any further Muslims to cross and escape the brutality in Syria. This is a man who actually coordinated the Syrian matter with the Russians and the Americans. This is a man who maintains political and economic engagement with the US and Russia, knowing full well the track record of suppressing Muslims. And he gives the US the ability to launch strikes across the region by giving them access to the Intralake air base. This is a man who maintains the secular integrity of Turkey and actively seeks closer alignment to Europe. And this is a man who closes down the media channels and social media when he is being insulted, when he is being accounted, but takes no action when Islam is being insulted. So we should see through all of this and realize that Ardagan is only engaged in political expediency 
and retaining his political base and his political support. So this accusation that this demonstrates his Islamic credentials is far from the truth. Now with regards to the final inaccuracy that I want to mention, that this is that this conversion back to a mosque represents the struggle between Christianity and Islam. This is also far from the truth. Christianity has long since for centuries been separated from having any influence over political matters and it is well recorded how Christians, indeed even the Jews, were secure and prospered under Islamic rule. The conversion to a masjid at the time of Muhammad al-Fatih was a significant political statement and symbolism establishing the dominance of Islam over a place and a land that was once the Byzantine political and cultural center where Christianity held political sway. However, today, the political and cultural center which the conversion of Ayasofya challenges is not the almost untouchable principles of Kemalism within Turkey, but rather the global world order established upon the principles of secularism and capitalism. This is the challenge that the West feels and that which confronts the Muslims. I mean, I need to be very, very clear. What I'm not saying is that the conversion of the masjid itself is making inroads into countering the dominance of secularism. That's far from the truth. In fact, we have thousands of mosques in Istanbul and thousands of mosques globally around the world. And none of these have dented secularism. For secularism isn't averse to mosques or Muslims engaged in their private worships. Rather, the significance of Hagia Sophia is that of the political connection and significance that Hagia Sophia brings. That the conversion represents secularism's deepest fears, which is the growing aspiration of the Muslims to return to live by Islam as a comprehensive and systematic alternative to the current world order. And this is what Muhammad al-Fatih reaffirmed with the conquest of Constantinople and how it shook the foundations of Europe. The same manner in which Rasulullah shook the Arab world when he entered Mecca with authority. And inshallah, it will be the same manner by which the impending return of Khilafah will shake the global world order and secularism. The outpouring of emotion across the Muslim world for Ayasofya reflects the sentiment and aspirations to live by Islam. This has not been lost on the West, who continue to work and conspire like their forefathers, the Quraysh, to prevent the rise of Islam. Hence, I really hope now that you can see the link to the initial example I gave at the beginning of this small discussion. And the West will fail. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us when he tells us that Bismillahirrahmanirrahim wa qul ja'al haq wa zahaq al-batil inna al-batila kana zahuqa That verily say, sorry, say the truth has come and the falsehood is banished. Verily the falsehood was destined to be banished. In conclusion, the conversion of Hagia Sophia brings together all the attempts to discredit Islam, prevent the return of Islam, and exposes the political expediency of those that attempt to write on the back of the growing Islamic sentiment. But this conversion also represents the opportunity to emphasize 
that the only way to return the situation of the Muslims is not simply the conversion back to a mosque, but the conversion of the entire systems that plague and govern the Muslims today through the re-establishment of the Khilafah. And I do to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a matter that all of us gathered today are working upon earnestly and insha'Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards us with khair in the dunya and khair in the akhirah. Jazakumullah khair. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله والحمد لله رب العالمين. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe. Share and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.